in one sense, this actually isn't an Advent or Christmas story. The events we contemplate in the first joyful mystery of the Annunciation, the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary, Mary's response to God's call, and the incarnation of Jesus in her womb are all celebrated, of course, on March 25th, nine months before Jesus was born. Yet on the other hand, this is, of course, an integral part of the Christmas story. The infancy narratives and stories that surround Jesus' birth. And so the church gives us this gospel to read at Masses a number of times during Advent, including it was read at the Orate Mass this morning. The first phrase we can meditate on as part of this mystery of the rosary is the greeting of the angel Gabriel to Mary, hail full of grace. Perhaps surprising is that the normal greeting among Jews is shalom, peace. But the word used here by the angel is not the normal greeting, but rather that used in the Greek-speaking world, kyrie, which doesn't just mean hello, but in itself means be glad or rejoice. Thus, Pope Benedict says that this being a Greek greeting and not a Hebrew one, was already an important message. In the very first words of the angel, when the Greeks would begin to read this gospel, they realized that the beginning of the New Testament was bringing openness to the world. That the people of God included not only the Jewish people, but all the world in its totality. In this Greek greeting of the angel, the new universality of the kingdom of the true son of David appears. But I think more important than the universality of this greeting is its actual meaning. Rejoice, be glad. This announcement is one of good news. It's an invitation to joy. Here the angel's words take up the promise in the prophecy of Zephaniah chapter 3, which says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear evil no more. These words of the prophet Zephaniah would have been understood as referring to Israel, daughter Zion, as a dwelling place of God. But now these words are being specifically addressed to Mary who is also the daughter Zion to whom the prophet spoke, as the Lord has a special plan for her, that she is called to be the true dwelling place of God. The words of the prophet, the Lord is in your midst, now ring true. God is not remote from us, unknown, enigmatic. God is close, so close that he makes himself a child. This is why we are called with Mary to rejoice, be glad. And why the angel had quite similar words in the announcement to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. 
This is a moment of joy and gladness because we're on the threshold where the Old Testament comes to an end with John and the New Testament begins with Mary and Jesus. This announcement brings great joy to both Jew and Greek alike. The true God exists. This true God is good. He loves us. He knows us. He is with us. He is with us to the point that he even took on flesh. This is the joy that Christianity proclaims. Knowing this God is truly good news. I think it's part of the fact that we've known this truth practically all of our lives. And we're part of a church that has lived this truth for centuries. That we're not blown away in amazement and surprise by these words. That we do not quite feel their intense, liberating joy. Therefore, something I suggest, especially when praying with any scripture passage, is to try and read it as if we had never heard these words before. Or to think about how those first hearers or readers of these words would have reacted. Perhaps we're no longer surprised by these words, but we certainly do still live in a world in need of them. A world dominated by fears and uncertainty. A world where people question the very goodness of life and existence. A world that can seem very dark at times. A world in need of God. Therefore, we still need these words. Rejoice. Be glad. Because God is with you. He is with us. With an act of faith, we must once again accept, understand in the depths of our hearts this liberating word, rejoice. To quote Pope Benedict, we cannot keep solely for ourselves this joy that we have received. Joy must always be shared, communicated. Mary went without delay to communicate her joy to her cousin Elizabeth. And ever since her assumption into heaven, she has showered joy upon the whole world. She has become the great consoler, our mother who communicates joy, trust, and kindness, and also invites us to spread joy. This is the real commitment of Advent, to bring joy to others. Joy is the true gift of Christmas, not expensive presents that demand time and money. The Pope Emeritus continues, we can transmit this joy simply, with a smile, with a kind gesture, with some small help, with forgiveness. Let us give this joy, and the joy given will be returned to us. Let us seek in particular to communicate the deepest joy, that of knowing God in Christ. Now 
The next word the angel Gabriel says to Mary after rejoice, be glad, is also a word not easy to translate. The angel calls her filled with grace, created by grace, full of grace. Notice this comes even before calling her Mary. He calls her full of grace and thus in a way reveals a new name God has given her. One that defines her even more than the name given to her by her parents. What does full of grace mean? That Mary is entirely inhabited by God's presence. That there's no place in her for sin. It's something extraordinary because everyone, unfortunately, is contaminated by evil. Look inside. Each one of us sees dark sides. The greatest saints were also sinners. And all realities, even the most beautiful, are affected by evil. All except Mary. She's the only one uncontaminated, created immaculate, so prepared to receive fully with her, yes, God who is coming to the world to thus begin a new history. Note that this scripture passage alone is not a full proof of Mary's immaculate conception. Rather, that comes to us also from the tradition and from the absolute fittingness that the Son of God who would take flesh from a woman would first create such a woman to be pure and immaculate without blemish or stain of sin. In his audience on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception last year, Pope Francis commented on this title the angel gives to Mary as full of grace. He said, A nice compliment to give a lady is to say to her that she looks young. When we call Mary full of grace, in a certain sense, we also say this greatest compliment to her at the highest level. In fact, we acknowledge her always young because she never grew old by sin. There is only one thing that makes one truly grow old, to grow old interiorly, not age, but sin. Sin makes one old because it makes the heart inflexible. It closes it, renders it inert. It makes it wither. However, she who is full of grace is empty of sin, hence she is always young. She is younger than sin. She is the youngest of the human race. Pope Francis continued explaining how the church calls Mary totopokra, all beautiful. But it's her youth and her beauty is not in her age, but in her sinlessness, not just her external appearances. Rather, she who was full of grace lived a beautiful life. What was her secret? We can gather it looking again at the scene of the Annunciation. In many paintings, Mary is depicted, seated before the angel with a small book. This book is the scripture. Thus, Mary was usually listening to God and dwelling on him. Her secret was the word of God close to her heart, who then took flesh in her womb by remaining with God. Conversing with him in every circumstance, Mary made her life beautiful. 
Not appearance, not what passes, but a heart pointed to God is what makes life beautiful. Today we look joyfully at her who was full of grace. Let us ask her to help us to remain young by saying no to sin and to live a beautiful life saying yes to God. A final aspect of the phrase full of grace is pointed out by Pope Benedict that there's a connection between joy and grace. That in Greek, the two words are both derived from the same root, that joy and grace belong together. Joy is the result of God's grace, and indeed, joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The next phrase to meditate on is the fact that Mary was troubled by this greeting of the angel. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel says. When in fact, there's probably pretty good reason to fear. She's going to be asked to carry this great burden. Indeed, Pope Benedict says, the weight of the world was upon herself to be the mother of the universal king, to be the mother of the Son of God. It was too heavy a burden for human strength to bear. But the angel said, do not fear. Yes, you are carrying God, but God is carrying you. Do not fear. I'm sure you know how the late Pope St. John Paul II began his papacy with the cry, be not afraid. In 1994, he would write, When on October 22, 1978, I said the words, Be not afraid, in St. Peter's Square, I could not fully know how far they would take me in the entire church. Their meaning came more from the Holy Spirit, the Consoler, promised by the Lord to his disciples, than from the man who spoke them. Nevertheless, with the passing of the years, I've recalled these words on many occasions. Why should we have no fear? Because man has been redeemed by God. The power of Christ's cross and resurrection is greater than any evil which man could or should fear. It is, of course, a constant theme you can find throughout the Bible. Just one example, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you. I often think of the divine mercy prayer. Jesus, I trust in you. As related to this theme, be not afraid. I found repeating this simple prayer of abandonment and trust in Jesus dispels the thickest of clouds. And let's a ray of light penetrate the darkest places and times in my life. To simply pray that, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. These words, do not fear, must have deeply penetrated Mary's heart. We can imagine how in various situations the Virgin must have pondered on these words and heard them again and again in her life with Christ, her son. Pope Benedict would say, 
At the moment when Simeon said to her, this child is destined to be the downfall and the rise of many in Israel, a sign that will be opposed, and you yourself will be pierced with a sword. At that very moment in which she might have succumbed to fear, Mary returned to the angel's words and felt their echo within her. Do not fear. God is carrying you. Then when contradictions were unleashed against Jesus during his public life, and many said, he is crazy, she thought once again of the angel's words in her heart, do not fear, and went ahead. Lastly, in the encounter on the way of Calvary, and then under the cross, when all seemed to be destroyed, she again heard the angel's words in her heart, do not fear. Hence, she stood courageously beside her dying son and, sustained by faith, moved towards the resurrection, towards Pentecost, towards the foundation of the new family of the church. These words of the angel are also addressed to us. Do not fear. We live in a world of fear. Fear of misery and poverty. Fear of illness and suffering. Fear of solitude and death. Yet no health insurance system or welfare network, as good as these things are, can protect us from deep suffering. And that moment of ultimate loneliness when we each will face death. The only valid insurance in those moments is the one that comes to us from the Lord who alone assures us, do not fear, I am always with you. We can fall, but in the end we fall into God's hands. And God's hands are good hands. I won't go too much into Mary's curious response to the angel. How shall this be, since I do not know man? In Hebrew, to know was a common expression of sexual union. Indeed, we still have the phrase carnal knowledge as a kind of polite way of saying sexual intercourse. So what could Mary have meant by this question? The angel had told her she would conceive a son, and she didn't understand how that could be. Much like full of grace is not an absolute proof of Mary's immaculate conception, so too this question is probably not a full proof of Mary's perpetual virginity. She could just be referring to the fact that she had not yet engaged in the requisite act for a pregnancy to occur. But the question certainly makes much more sense in light of Mary's virginity. After all, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, And the question wouldn't make much sense if she was anticipating engaging in the marital act with her husband. But if Mary had consecrated herself to remain a virgin, as the Christian tradition tells us, then it makes sense that she would have questioned the angel. Not in doubt that God could do this, but in genuine wonder of how this could happen. As one example, St. Augustine reads, this question of Mary in this sense. 
Surely she would not have said this unless she had already vowed herself to God as a virgin. So certainly she would not have asked how being a female she should give birth to her promised son if she had married with the purpose of sexual intercourse. Christian tradition tells us Mary remained perpetually a virgin before and after Jesus' birth. Therefore, it is quite possible that she may have already discerned a call to consecrated virginity even before the angel's message and her conception of Jesus. Mary's virginal motherhood is a sign. Not that there's anything wrong with sex or that it's bad or dirty, as some heresies would claim. Rather, it's a sign and guarantee of God's fatherhood. God is the only possible father of Jesus. Scott Hahn also points out the fittiness of Mary's perpetual virginity by likening her to the golden vessels that were dedicated for service in the temple. It was forbidden to use such consecrated chalices and plates outside of the temple worship, not even at the most dignified of royal banquets. Likewise, Mary was a vessel of the divine, the new Ark of the Covenant, and therefore her, her womb, having born the Savior, could not return to ordinary activity, no matter how good, no matter how blessed. Now we turn to the end of the conversation. And remember that Mary still had free will. Although conceived free from sin and chosen from among all women, she still had to consent to God's plan and her great fiat. Let it be done according to your word. In the bravery each year, we read on December 20th a beautiful reflection of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, which dramatically celebrates Mary's response to the announcement of the Archangel Gabriel. Allow me to read his words in praise of the Virgin in full. You have heard, O Virgin, that you will conceive and bear a son. You have heard that it will not be by man, but by the Holy Spirit. The angel awaits an answer. It is time for him to return to God who sent him. We too are waiting, O lady, for your word of compassion. The sentence of condemnation weighs heavily upon us. The price of our salvation is offered to you. We shall be set free at once if you consent. In the eternal word of God, we all came to be, and behold, we die. In your brief response, we are to be remade in order to be recalled to life. Tearful Adam, with his sorrowing family, begs this of you, O loving virgin, in their exile from paradise. Abraham begs it. David begs it. All the other holy patriarchs, your ancestors, ask it of you as they dwell in the country of the shadow of death. This is what the whole world waits for. Prostrate at your feet. It is right in doing so, for on your word depends comfort for the wretched, ransom for the captive, freedom for the condemned, Indeed, salvation for all the sons of Adam, the whole of your race. Answer quickly, O virgin. Reply in haste to the angel, or rather through the angel to the Lord. Answer with a word. Receive the word of God. Speak your word. Conceive the divine word. Breathe the passing word. Embrace the eternal word. Why do you delay? Why are you afraid? Believe, give praise, and receive. 
Let humility be bold. Let modesty be confident. This is no time for virginal simplicity to forget prudence. In this matter alone, O prudent virgin, do not fear to be presumptuous. Though modest silence is pleasing, dutiful speech is now more necessary. Open your heart to faith, O blessed virgin, your lips to praise, your womb to the Creator. See, the desired of all nations is at your door, knocking to enter. If he should pass by because of your delay, in sorrow you would begin to seek him afresh, the one whom your soul loves. Arise, hasten, open. Arise in faith, hasten in devotion, open in praise and thanksgiving. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, she says. Be it done to me according to your word. Mary becomes a mother through her yes. Thus, the church fathers developed the thought of Mary's faith and obedience. She heard the word of God and believed, and therefore first conceived Christ in faith. And that faith allowed the word to enter into her womb and become fruitful in her. Mary answered the angel, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you say. Thus Mary anticipated the Our Father's third invocation, Thy will be done. She said yes to God's great will, a will apparently too great for a human being. Mary said yes to this divine will by placing herself within this will. She placed her whole life with a great yes within God's will and thus opened the world's door to God. Adam and Eve, with their no to God's will, had closed this door. Let God's will be done. Mary invites us to say, to join her in saying yes, which sometimes seems so difficult. We will be tempted to prefer our own will, but she tells us, be brave. You too say your will be done, because this will is good. At first, it might seem a burden, even a yoke impossible to bear. But in reality, God's will is not a burden. God's will gives us the wings to fly high. And thus, we too can dare with Mary to open the door of our lives to God. The doors of this world by saying yes to his will. Aware that this will is the true good and leads us to true happiness. To conclude, I use the last line of this story to illustrate the fact that when we read and pray with Scripture, we must beware not to speed read or skip any words. I know that sounds obvious, but too often it's easy to skim through passages saying, well, I've read that before, I know this story. But if we do that, we're just going on what I think it says without actually listening and hearing God's word or to ponder what God is saying to us through the words and how they apply to our life. And I'm sure we've all read or heard this story of the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1 dozens, if not hundreds of times. But do you know what the last line of the story is? 
It's not Mary's beautiful response to the angel, let it be done to me according to your word. Of course, that's what I usually think about and I'm drawn to. But when we actually read the text and don't skip over any parts, the last words are, and the angel departed from her. What does that mean, the angel departed from her? To me, it means that at that moment, when Mary's whole life has changed, and she's agreed to this task that truly surpasses all human capacity, she is called to continue on this path in faith. She doesn't know all that's going to happen. It means Mary did not have an angel standing by her side, guiding her every step of the way, holding her hand. It means she probably had questions already. Like, what in the heck am I going to tell Joseph? It means she wasn't given an instruction manual entitled How to Be the Parent to the Son of God. It means her life is still going to have dark moments that require faith and trust. Indeed, the darkest of all moments at the foot of the cross. The angel departed from her. And Mary, like us, has to continue on her journey and mature in her faith and draw close to God and place her trust in him. Let us now pray to Mary, the mother of God, the mother of the church and our mother, to give us the courage to say yes with her to God's plan working in our lives. And we ask Mary to give us the joy that she had of being with God and that she would lead us to be with her son in that true and eternal life. Amen.